0: good morning such a pleasure to be with you here today glad to see the sunshine today I know you are too Joe thank you and the worship team thanks for leading us in corporate worship I'm kind of wondering if the second row is broken today uh, we are Baptists and uh, as Baptists we have a theology of not sitting on the front row but I don't think I've ever seen the front both front rows in the use of Christ fellowship Baptist Church so I think that means we're getting more holy or something. I'm not sure. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the meeting of Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue to walk through this wonderful um, sermonic letter, which I think I've been arguing is a sermon as we seek to persevere in the faith uh, and, and as we seek to stir ourselves up to love and good deeds through God's Word by His Spirit. So today we'll be looking at verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read uh, beginning back in verse 1 and read through Verse 6. So let us stand and honor the reading of God's Word. And let us hear now the Word of the Living God. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, or as we've been saying, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel. I looked at Abel last week. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word given to us, revealed to us by his Holy Spirit. May he add his blessings to this reading of it. Let's you may be seated. Let's pray. God in heaven, we need to hear a word from you. Lord, we need your truth more than anything else to stabilize us, to build a strong foundation on which we may stand, to make us holy even as you are holy. For your word, as we will see in just a few weeks, as your word says about holiness very soberingly, no one will see the Lord So, God, we pray that this morning that you would take your word, you'd plant it deep in us, that you would water it by your Holy Spirit, and that you would cause an overflow of righteousness, an abundant harvest of righteousness to grow up in us this day for your glory. Father, that we might leave here today able to live lives worthy of Christ, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the church, full of salt and light, to live compelling lives that others say, what is the reason for the hope that lies in you? in such a hopeless age. O oh God, do it in us, and there be those here today who do not know you. I pray today will be the day that you draw them effectually, irresistibly to yourself, that you convict them of sin and unrighteousness. That you do in them, Lord, what you alone can do, and that is to save them from their sins, from sin and death, just as you have so many of us. So God, now do this for your glory. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Well, if you go to this church, and maybe if you know me, you don't go to this church, you know that I love baseball. So last year, from about March until you know August, it was pretty torturous for me to have to live, and probably hard to live with me because there was no baseball. And I love a lot of things about baseball, Uh, but one of the things I love about baseball, and particularly professional baseball, major league baseball, is they play 162 games in a season, And some of you say, well, that's too much. It's a boring game, and who wants to be bored 162 times, right? 162 opportunities to be bored. Well, I disagree. Because in a given season, it is a survival of the fitness. It is a a battle to persevere every single day because you play every single day. There are injuries. There are pandemics now. (laughs) There are hot streaks and cold streaks, and there's a lot of psychology these, these men have to navigate, not the least of which is how to manage failure, because the greatest hitter who ever lived failed seven times, about six and a half times out of ten. Ted Williams, and you know, you've heard me say that too. Another sermon for another time. So it's an exercise in managing failure. The, one of the reasons I love baseball is because it's a lot like the Christian life. Christian life is in a sense it's daily right we live every day we don't just live as Christians today here uh, and gather together in our Sunday best and we're looking good we're feeling good the sun's shining it's cold we don't like that but otherwise we're doing well for two hours we don't just live in that do we? And the call is not just to be saved, it's to be being saved, it's to be being a Christian. You're a Christian, as we've seen, you are saved, but you also are being saved. So there's the necessity of persevering in the faith. Of course, I've argued in the past from multiple texts and over the years that a, a true Christian cannot lose his salvation. We believe that here and teach that because it's biblical, but there's also that need to endure. it. again, I think baseball is a good illustration for the Christian life, because there's so many dangers and toils and snares. Of course, you all know as well that I also love the Pilgrim's Progress, and so that is a good illustration, allegory for the Christian life. It's daily. You don't just kind of get saved and then say, hallelujah, we're going to quit here, we're going to stop here, we've done our business with God. Now, I've been taught this, sadly, in the past, but we just do our business with God, drive down to stake, and we move on. We've done it, right? No, 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 no. First of all, salvation is by grace alone, and it grace breaks in, it changes everything. Gradually, usually, but everything. And so that's what we're up to in this entire book. And so as we reach the Hall of Faith, what I've called the Cooperstown of Faith because of my love to and commitment for baseball analogy, two baseball analogies, this Hall of Faith, we see these illustrations of persevering faith. Now today, I'm a little jealous of the man we're going to examine today, Enoch, because he was taken Last March, <laughs> if I'm going to be taken, the Lord is going to take me home. I think that, and I don't mean through death, but just say, hey, come up here, Jeff. That would have been a good time. I'm sure many of you share that sentiment as well. But this is the illustration of a man who walked with God in verses 5 and 6 here. Probably better than almost any human in history, not named Jesus Christ. So much so, walked with God so faithfully that he didn't have to die, was taken to heaven by God. Man, that is awesome, isn't it? And again, that's why I'm a little envious. We're all a little afraid of death, even for in Christ, and so he didn't have to die. He, was, he walked with God to the degree, and we don't know much about that, so we're not going to say much about that. Don't want to go beyond Scripture, but he walked with God and was taken, obviously, because he, but he was a faithful man. Of course, the only other man we know of who went to heaven without dying was the Old Testament prophet Elijah, two men in history. And so, of course, in understanding these illustrations, we walk through this hall of faith the next few weeks, Lord willing, we know need to always keep in the forefront of our minds Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2 here. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, or uh, the King James, I love the old King James, evidence, because I think our lives evidence the faithfulness of God, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. But that, those third verses, especially verse 1, it's because he's, what he's doing is illustrating verse 1 in a sense. These are those who were faithful to God but who's the hero of chapter 11 is it these paragons of faith is that are they the hero who's the hero i can't hear you who's the faithful god god is the, it's it's a tribute not to the faithfulness of men necessarily but the faithfulness of god and it should encourage you again we've been in this you know if it's a pandemic or whatever it is for several months now but we're all frustrated, right? And so but God God is the foundation of our perseverance. Assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I always want to call us back to our purpose for studying this book, the purpose for this letter, sermonic letter in the first place, and that is to deepen your confidence in God's promise. Again, that's why God is the hero. My confidence is not in Enoch or Abraham, or, or uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, or uh, Al Mohler, or Mark Dever, or whoever your hero is. No, my confidence, our confidence is in God, right? That's how we persevere. I am here because of God. You are here if you are persevering in the faith because of His grace. You're saved by grace alone, and you persevere by grace alone. And so we have confidence in God's promise so that we turn from the fleeting pleasures of sin and live out this radical kind of love, this obedience that comes from having our hope in God. So today, Enoch, we learn in verse 5, he was a man who walked with God. And that's what we're here for, right? To walk with God. The church, the local church, is a very vital means of grace in our lives as to how we walk with God every day, right? Not just on Sunday, but throughout, the, throughout our lives, Being here, I mean, we've talked about church attendance, and being in church, there's just no substitute for that, is there? Because it's a means of grace that God confers grace to us and builds us and grows us and encourages us. It challenges us, and some of us have had to miss over the last few months for various reasons, good reasons, and, and we felt it, haven't we? So Munich walked with God. That's what we're doing here today. We're walking with God, and I'm hoping this stays together. If it falls off, just bear with me. So, who was Enoch? Well, the story of Enoch is in Genesis 5 21 to 24. You can turn way back to the left with me to the early parts, uh, the early chapters of Scripture. And this is this, and Jude is what we're going to we'll look at a little bit later, is what we know about Enoch. Verse, uh, I'll go back to verse 18, where it speaks of Jared, his, his father. Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, we can relate to that a little better, can't we? <laughs> the fall is just kind of starting to take hold here, life expectancy shortening. But 65 years he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and here's... Here's where we learn of what happened, his end. He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He was literally taken up. So God drafted Enoch. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? Now glorious, but it's a brief account. So really just 51 words here. Enoch's sort of mini biography, as I've called these things. He was the seventh from Adam, which is to say he was the seventh descendant from Adam's line a little over probably 600 years after the world was created. They lived a long time back in those days, so, you know, everything would have been brand new. Um, Methuselah, 969 years. Man, I'd I'd be just a babe if that were true now, wouldn't you? I mean, think about it, right? I'm not sure how much I think about death if I thought I'll live to be 900,000 years old. Man, for some of us, you know. We're, we're, we're cranky now. Imagine 900 more years of this. That would be uh, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? But I, di- but I digress. So he lived 365 years, 600 years after the creation, a few hundred years before the great flood, which we'll look at, Lord willing, really next year. Father Methuselah, the oldest man who ever lived, 969 years. And back where I come from, we talk about he's as old as Methuselah. Well, this is where we get it, right? How many of you know that phrase? You know that phrase? Yeah. Old as Methuselah. Some of you young people, here we go. This is it. He was a preacher of righteousness. Jude chapter, uh, or Jude verses 14 to 15, only one chapter in Jude, is a quote from 1 Enoch, which is a, an extra-biblical source, a source outside the Bible, but it's nonetheless true, and we're free to use it. Why? But well, because Jude quotes it here, right? It's quoted in Scripture. Jude uses this to tell us, and we'll look at it in a few minutes, but Enoch was a, a preacher, a prophet, a preacher. And what was his message? Well, it had two parts. I like that. He's a preacher. Enoch was a preacher. One, he proclaimed that the Lord would return in judgment in uh, verse 14. Turn back to Jude. That is just before the end of the Bible, the book before Revelation. It was also said uh, uh, about these that Enoch, now the context here is he's speaking of false teachers, sort of identifying a group of false teachers that have wormed their way into the church. He said it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So he proclaims here that Jesus is coming back. The Lord will return, right? And of course, this is orthodox theology. We're looking for his return, And some days we pray, Lord, come quickly. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Maranatha, right? That's the prayer of many of us. It's been mine recently more than any other time, probably in my life. And secondly, we learn that he cried out against the ungodliness that was so widespread in the culture of his day. The 21st century has not invented evil, as it turns out. You know, we say sometimes, how can it get worse? To which I would say, and scripture says it's always been bad. There's really nothing new under the sun. There's really no new way to sin, is there? So he called out thousands of years ago against ungodliness. That was the theme here of his his preaching. Jude uses it four times in this sentence. He gives ungodliness, ungodliness, ungodliness. We get get the point, right? When Scripture repeats itself, it's making a point. So he lived just before the flood, and this was a sinful age. Genesis 6 uh, puts it this way, verse 7, man's wickedness on earth has become great, this is the words of God, and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So the age, the 21st century, is, has by no means invented evil. But listen to this. The thoughts and intents of their hearts, of evil men's hearts, God says, was only evil all the time. And we, It's easy to think of our day and think, wow, it's just so much evil out there, right? But it's really never been any different that age was marked by sexual promiscuity, we learned from the Old Testament. Materialism, again, that's not a, an American gospel necessarily. We talk about that and there's truth in that, but it's, we didn't invent materialism, did we? Idol worship, idolatry, those were perilous times. Evidently, they spoke harsh things against God, but again, our day is no different at all. I mean, the news every day tells us what? What? The, the, the news declares the sinfulness of man. The streets declare the sinfulness of man. And, and we shouldn't be discouraged or, or surprised at that at all. In fact, I think we should be surprised it's not worse. It probably is getting worse, but we should be surprised, right, that God in His common race is holding something back, and He is. I mean, we have rape today, murder, of course, sexual promiscuity, perversion, we have the wicked redefining of, of marriage. We have the overturning of God's created order with so-called transgenderism. People saying, God, we're going to fix what God has, where God has erred. How audacious is that? It is wickedness and evil, let's call it what it is. If we go to jail for preaching it, we'll go to jail for preaching it, won't we? I hope. I don't want to go to jail. I hope we go to jail. But I'm saying, <laughs> I hope we'll stake a stand for the truth, right? Murdering the unborn, 65 million in America now, and counting, even as they grow in the presumed safety of the mother's womb, there is no fear of God before our eyes, but it has always been this way for the unbelievers. Nothing new under the sun. What would Enoch say if he were here today? Well, he'd say the culture is ungodly. It is godless. That's literally what he's saying here. So what was the outcome? Well, in Enoch's day, God poured out His wrath against sin by a catastrophic worldwide flood. That comes right on the heels of this. Judgment. Judgment comes. But that's not the end. That's not the final judgment. Because God, in His grace and His mercy, preserved the the lives of eight people. Noah and his family, Mrs. Noah and their sons and their wives, and two of the animals. But God did this because the, the age was so wicked, the age of Enoch. We'll take that up, Lord, really next week. And so as we see this in Scripture and we look at the culture around us, we must ask, is a similar judgment ahead for our godless culture in 2001? And I would even ask it this way. Is perhaps judgment already here? I would argue that the confusing of the genders, that people don't know whether they're a man or a woman, that is a sure sign of God's judgment already here. Something so fundamentally evident to us that we're confused about that is a certain sign that God's judgment is already here not the final judgment but I believe it's here not just in our country but globally the pandemic is that a sign of God's judgment God's judgment it certainly is a picture of God's judgment isn't it last days there'll be perilous times there'll be (laughs) there'll be disease and famine and all these things and we see it don't we I think we thought we were above that. That's why we've had such a hard time with it. We'll never see that Old Testament stuff, man. We love it, but boy, I'm glad we don't have those diseases like they had back then or 1918. But it was 1918. when the flu swept the entire world and killed millions just like now. And of course, I think he could say, if this is true, seeing that it seems to be growing, God's final judgment is certainly one day closer today than it was when we woke up yesterday How then must we live? How should we be living? We'll get into that here in just a moment. Think about Matthew 24. A picture of God's judgment, what it's going to look like. be two in the field, one taking the other left. Two grinding at the millstone, one taking the other left. And he says, so as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the last days. When the coming, the flood of judgment comes on man. And I'm here to tell you, in that text, you want to be left behind. There's the left behind thing. Forget about that. (laughs) The one taken is swept away in judgment. I think that's the analogy. In Noah's day, they were swept away in judgment, and I think they're being swept away in judgment. But God's people are left standing because we're standing in God's grace and his mercy. Again, Matthew 24, one of many pictures of what is to come. And this is what Enoch was preaching in part. And, of course, it could be today, couldn't it? Could be today. is why we fear God. Not in a slavish kind of fear, but in a, a loving kind of fear as our Creator and our Lord and our final judge. That's what makes the gospel such good news. And if these days are such, and if the future coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will be a judgment comparable to the flood of Noah, should, we, should not our preaching and our evangelism reflect that? Sometimes I think we're too, we're embarrassed to talk about things like judgment and God's wrath and Satan because that sounds a little, you know, I don't know, rednecky or something, you know, just kind of old school, kind of like fundamentalist, it sounds like that. And yet Enoch preached it, and we must preach it as well. And young guys here, you're going to the ministry, and we have many of you, have interns in uh, se- uh, the seminary, don't be embarrassed to preach God's coming judgment because it is all through Scripture to not preach it, to fail to preach it, to be unfaithful to Scripture. And we we should preach it with a tear in our eye. It's not not something we're gleefully looking forward to. We want to see everyone come because the invitation today as every day to those who stand outside God's grace, who are under His wrath, faith in His wrath, is to come. It's to come. All who are weary and heavy laden, He will give you rest in Christ. That should typify our preaching again, because it's all through the Bible. Because the Bible is filled with the condemnation of sin, as it was in the preaching of Enoch. And so we must persist in warning our co-workers and our loved ones, our schoolmates, our family members, and relatives to flee from the wrath to come. Again, Bunyan, (laughs) Christian, he was fleeing from the city of destruction, right? It's going to be destroyed, and so will this city be one day, one day glad morning, Jesus will come back and call in, an bring down the curtain on history, and it could be, beloved, it could be today. Enoch preached it then. We're not omniscient, we don't know the future, right? God is sovereign, but it could be today. And we should not take that lightly. We should not see that as something that's a, a product of a, a fundamentalism of a dangerous sort, that's an anti intellectual sort. And we just don't like that because we don't, you know, we don't think that way anymore. Oh, how Satan has us blinded, friends. We must think about that because Scripture does. Enoch preached it and so must we. We learn also that Enoch walked with God. This is clearly the emphasis of the story of Enoch and the reason why the Holy Spirit has seen fit to tell us about Enoch, an otherwise obscure figure in the Bible. In the brief span of four verses, Scripture says twice he walked with God. Verse 22 back in in Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. And verse 24, Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. So what does it mean to walk with God? I mean, that's really, that's really why he's important, isn't it? Again, Enoch is not the hero of this story. It's the living God. It's Christ Jesus. And, of course, this, as we'll see uh, momentarily, every, all this points to him, to the good news. Right? The bad news is judgment. This with the good news is that we have an ark of safety in Christ. What does it mean with God, to, to walk with God? Well, I'm going to give you six things. There's more, but just for the sake of brevity, six things to walk with God, what it means to walk with God. One, to walk with God is to walk by trusting God, not our own understanding. I'm getting this from Scripture, of course. Believing Him when He tells us what we should do and how we should do it. By believing Him when He tells us how we must then Live. We are people of the book. We are people in this congregation of Sola, the principle of Sola Scriptura that the Reformers cherished. Scripture alone is our guide to faith and life, right? And everything. Second Corinthians 5 7, Paul says, We walk by faith, not by sight. And of course, the best known verse that many of us memorize probably if we've been in church long and we were children maybe is Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will do what? He will make your path straight. You say, well, Pastor, my, my path seems awfully crooked right now. I'm going through some suffering right now. I'm going through, I know a, a pastor down in Texas that I don't know, but I know about. He lost his wife to cancer last night. You're going to be praying for him, Michael Chapman, am I right? Is that the right name, Michael Chapman? It could be one of us, right? It's, something's coming. If you're not suffering now, you will be. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. If we got to write our own stories, we might not write them the way God is writing them, would we? We don't write our own stories. He has sovereignly ordained our story before the foundation of the world. And that is a good thing. That is not some kind of hard fatalism. It's glorious, right? We're the actors and we're playing. He's written the script and we're playing every single day, walking with him trusting in him because we can trust him not leaning on our own understanding which is so limited our, our, our understanding is limited, scripture is not limited, God's not limited and all of our ways acknowledging him, live for his glory in, in all things right, his supremacy in all things, or his glory in all things so that he will make our path straight, in other words it will make sense in due time if not in this life the next secondly to walk with God is to walk in humility humility. Look what happens in Scripture when sinful people, sinful men encounter face-to-face a holy God. And it's not the same as what Michael Scott, uh, um, what what one commentator calls um, a greasy familiarity we have with God today through which many approach God. You know, I've heard God called my buddy and he's my homeboy and all these things like that. I've seen t-shirts of Jesus is my homeboy, and that's all well and good, but I think we need to leave those off. Jesus is not your homeboy. He's your Lord and Savior. Let's get over that and stop having this greasy familiarity with God. Michael Scott Horton, that's his phrase, but I like it, you know. Had one teacher one time say, just call him buddy. Jesus is your buddy. Okay. You like that? He is in a sense, but he's also... The God who's going to pour out his wrath on all unbelievers at the end of time. Isaiah 6, 5. Isaiah the prophet, very famously in his call to the ministry, says, He says, man, I'll go do it right. I'm, I'm with you, chicky baby. I'm with you. That's it, homeboy. Or whatever. I don't know. This is, that's an old phrase. But you say that. He didn't say that. And neither should you. He said, woe is me, for I am lost. 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 If there's anything we're here to exalt every Sunday, it's the holiness of God, right? The holiness of God so struck him, he felt lost, he said, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes, why? Well, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's seen him, and he realizes, I am not holy. I am undone. I am lost, because I've seen the King of glory in all of his fullness, all his glory. He didn't see him in all his fullness, it would have killed him, it would have vaporized him. But he saw something in the temple of the the glory of God. and He could barely live. He could barely stand. Job, those last few chapters of Job and God, Job makes his argument, makes his case, and God just pins his ears back from verses, uh, chapters 38 to 42. He says, where were you when I hung the stars? Did you do it? You know, he didn't do it. Dude, where were you when I fed you know, the elephants and I fed the tigers and I, I, I made the oceans and I said, no, the waves are going to stop right there, the proud waves. You stop there and come no further. Did you do that, Job? Was it you? No, it wasn't you. I love the sarcasm in the Bible. It's there. And God's saying, I don't think so. I am God and you are not and Job finally said, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? And, the, of course, his, the tacit answer, right, the unspoken answer is, I cannot. So every mouth may be stopped, as Paul puts it in Romans 1. Therefore, I despise myself, Job said, and repent in sackcloth and ashes. He repented of this, of, of putting God in the dock and putting him on trial and saying, Have you done this? Have you said this? And we tend to do this, don't we? We don't understand our lives when our story doesn't turn out the way we think it should. We put God in the dock and say, You know, it would be better if you did this. This is why I see transgenderism as such a a wicked, wicked reality because it's telling God, you missed it, pal. I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body, and therefore I'm going to be a woman trapped no longer trapped in a man's body. How wicked, how evil. Let's call it what it is. What are we afraid of, people? Come on. Let's say it. Let's love the people who are trapped in that sin, and let's pray God will release them. The gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes, and let's get the gospel. We can't back down. We can't, we can't love them so much we just say, it's fine. I'll be, you know, I'm okay. You're okay. No, 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 no. If we love them, we'll love them You tell them, look, Jesus died for sinners like me and like you, and there's, there's a better way, right, a more excellent way. And that is the gospel. We love them. We'll tell them lovingly, not in a way that's mean-spirited or angry or nasty. I don't mean that. But we do it in gentleness and respect, but tell them the gospel. No, friend, God is a creator, and he is good and righteous in all his ways. He's kind in all of his works. Job says it here. I despise myself in repentance, not called in ashes. We need to call for repentance, for seeking to take God's place. We've sought to take his throne, to bring God down, because he's just one of us, away with this greasy familiarity with God. And, of course, there's Peter. After recognizing the glory of God and Christ's miracle of granting this great catch of fish, he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He encountered the sinless Jesus, the sinless Savior, and he said, I'm a sinner. And when we encounter him on the pages of Scripture, we should have the same response every day. Yes, we're saved by grace, but we're being saved by grace, and look what he's done. The holiness of God has gone out of style Sadly, even in Reformed circles, what a shame. That's what I appreciate about R.C. Spoll's ministry. That was the one focus of his ministry, and I love that. Thirdly, to walk with God is to walk in holiness. God is holy, and those that walk in fellowship with him must be holy as well. First John 1, 5-7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, Paul, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, no darkness in him, and if we walk in the light, that's what we're called to do is walk in the light. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So it has horizontal effects. Our vertical relationship has horizontal effects. We walk, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we see his holiness and we walk with him, we are cleansed. Yes, justified by faith. We're also being cleansed as we daily walk with him. Be holy without holiness or no one will see God appears numerous times in Scripture. First Peter 5. Be holy for I am holy. That is a call for me. That is a call for you. Every one of us, every day. It's a battle for holiness and humility. Because if you want to be humble, you, you, be holy. you must be humble we come to him and say, my hands are empty, fill my hands, right? J.C. Ryle wrote a great, great book called Holiness, defines a holy man as one who, or a holy woman as a person who seeks to be of one mind with God. And this is gained by being constantly in his word. Like the man in Psalm 1, he's like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in season. His leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. Why? Because he's... Been planted by the streams of water that is God's word. Plant yourself by this book every day and you will prosper. Well, am I saying you'll be a millionaire? I'm not saying that at all. That might be the worst thing that ever happened to you. But you will prosper in the things that cannot perish. The spiritual food that will feed you for life. The treasures that are laid up in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. And thieves cannot break in and steal. That's where you will have your prosperity. That is a true prosperity gospel. Raul said, a holy man is, a holy person is the one who shuns every known sin and strives to keep every commandment. Wow. Do you hate sin? Do you love righteousness? Do you pray that God will make you hate sin and love righteousness? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's a promise, beloved. Pray for it. Stand on the promises of God. It will be, you'll be satisfied. You will be holy. If you desire it, ask for it, and he will give it. It's a person, he says, jet Riles says, who cultivates the fruits of meekness, gentleness, and patience. Ouch. Who seeks self-control and self-denial. Who seeks to love others more than they love themselves. Who seeks purity of heart. Who fears God. Who seeks humility. Who aims at doing everything to the glory of God. Who seeks to develop spiritual mindedness. Again, that comes only through prayer and the word. It's very simple. The Christian life is not complex, or else I wouldn't understand it. <laughs> I certainly couldn't preach it. It's just the word and prayer, 365 days a year, every year of your life, and all the, the ordinary, what we call ordinary means of grace that God does such extraordinary work through, like the church, like evangelism, like serving your neighbor, loving your neighbor, right? That's, it's just simple. We make it too complex sometimes. That was Raoul. Fourthly, To walk, to be holy means to walk daily according to God's revealed will. Because holiness means we must agree with God as to the direction in which we will walk. Will it be, will I be king of my the throne of my heart, or will it be God? Who will be king? That's the question, isn't it? Will it be you and your little shriveled up kingdom of one? Or will it be the sovereign creator, the Lord of the universe? Of course, this means agreeing on what God has planned for us, what He said. Enoch clearly delighted in walking with God and did so. We do this by living faithfully according to God's Word and resting in His sovereignty without doubting when we, and especially when we, are even when we, but especially when we don't understand what God is doing, which is almost all the time. We're not omniscient. God has not given us, made us privy to omniscient, right? Deuteronomy 29, 29, a very important verse. Memorize that if you don't know it. It said, the secret things... The things God has revealed belong to us, our children forever, but the secret things belong to the Lord. In other words, we can't peer behind the veil. We trust in what we do see, what we do know. If we focus on what we do know, that'll give us, that'll occupy our time plenty. We won't have time to, to worry. To wring our hands about what God, what may happen, if only, the if-only lifestyle. Because God's word is what a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path, Psalm 119-105 tells us. Fifthly, to walk in a manner, to be holy is to walk in a manner that pleases God. Holiness means we walk in a way to please God and not man. We fear God and not man. All of you, most of you, all of you, you fear man. You tend to fear man more than you fear God. You say, well, that's very self-righteous of you. How could you say that? You don't even know me. I know you because I know me. And this is what I spend most of my time doing. And I still fear man more than I fear God. There's a sense in which I have to overcome wanting to please you too much in what I preach. Because we all love to be loved, don't we? I mean, we love to hear our name. That's why knowing somebody's name is important, because, man, they love to hear their name. Jeff, yeah, that's great. I love to hear that. Why? Well, because I, you know, I love myself too much. Enoch pleased God. If we're in a position of pleasing God, that will then we will not be in a position of pleasing man. I mean, this is a universal problem. That's why I say it, because I know me, I know you, I know the universal problem. God came to rescue us, to set us free from love to self and the fear of man so that we might fear him. Our fear will have a proper object. But we can't fear God and man at the same time, can we? Because the person or the thing you need most in life will control you. Whatever that is, that's what's going to control you. Do you fear God? Well, that'll control you. Whatever your idol is, whatever you worship, that's what will control you. We you usually know that by what we talk about. Don't we talk a lot about Well, that's what controls us. Solomon said in Proverbs 29, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Only a proper understanding of the gospel is power enough to deal with our fear of man. We must pray that God would kill it. That we don't fear man. And I think in our country, this is going to become more and more important. To preach and to say things like I just said, and I'm not in any way saying, look how courageous I am. But things we just said uh, you know, about sexuality and gender and all that, it's, it's, it's not popular. And it's only not popular. It could become illegal. Hate speech, they say. It's like hate crimes. What kind of crime is not a hate crime? Well consistency, but I think that will be good for the church, because then we'll know who really means it, right, we'll know if that kind of persecution comes, then we will know what I really believe about this, will I say that to the authorities, will I have the temerity to say what I just said to them, if they're standing at the door saying, did you say this? Because we've said this, it's hate speech, we'll see, won't we, I I mean, I hope I would, (laughs) <laughs> I pray that I would. You pray that I would, okay? Because that's what the church needs. And not so I can be pugnacious and combative. Don't hear me wrong. We can hear that wrong sometimes. I don't want to say that in that spirit because I don't think we need to say it in that spirit. We say it with broken hearts because there are sinners, there are people we know and love trapped in those lifestyles. One of my dearest friends growing up is trapped in that lifestyle and it breaks my heart. I mean, I played, I played ball with him. He was in my house. I was in his wedding. And now... He's trapped in that lifestyle, and I pray for him almost daily. It feels urgent to me. And that should be our posture. So don't, I want to go back and make sure that our hearts are broken over this, not that we're sort of, you know, sort of overly happy about that. We should not be. Finally, to walk with God, to walk in holiness means to walk the path all the way to the celestial city, as Bunyan puts it. Holiness means we must persevere in our walk with God. The Christian life it's not a not a sprint, it's a marathon, isn't it? And the race is not to the swift, but one who by God's grace perseveres till the end. Genesis 5 tells us that Enoch walked with God for how many years? At least 300 years, right? And you're we're weary after 10 months of a pandemic, right? Ah <laughs> oh, man, I can't do the mass thing anymore. If I go into Kroger one more time, I'm gonna scream. Three hundred years. Would we last for 300 years if we were tempted for 300 years? That's a lot of temptation. I can barely survive like, you know, before I go to work in the morning, temptation. Wow. James Boyce, Montgomery Boyce said, It was the walk of a lifetime. It was a walk, not a sprint or a run. Nearly anyone can sprint for a short time or distance, but no one can do it for long. For the long haul, you need to walk, and this is what Enoch did. We need people who will walk with God today, not flashes in the pan, nor shooting stars who attract you more by their passing brilliance than by their substance. We need steady, faithful people who know God and are coming to know Him better day by day. Friends, that's why we're here. So that you know God and you know yourself, to quote Calvin, day by day by day. That's really the theme of my entire ministry. So that you'll know God and you'll know yourself. That's it. It's pretty simple. Why'd you go to seminary all those years? No, that's a good question. <laughs> Probably to read that so I would know that that's true, right? No, it is. Matthew 24, 13, our Lord said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Are you enduring? Are you wanting to quit the race? I mean, we're going to be tempted. Satan, we have an active devil who wants us to quit. He wants you to quit. He wants to have you to sift you as wheat. But is Jesus praying for you because if he is? Your faith will not fail you. It happened to Peter. It didn't happen. It didn't fail Peter. It won't, happen. It won't fail you. Enoch walked with God all those years. He did not, not see death was taken up by God. Luther says this. Imagine the effect of the translation Enoch had on his godly friends. Enoch's father and grandfather would have been disturbed. They would have launched a manhunt. They would have been wondering that what could have become of this preacher of righteousness. No doubt they suspected foul play on the part of Cain's descendants. Enoch had preached against their wickedness. Perhaps he had been slain like Abel and buried secretly. At last, through the revelation of God, they learned that Enoch had not been murdered, but had simply been taken away by God and given a place in paradise. Why should God have acted this way? It was to show that death is not the end, but rather that there has been prepared and set aside for men another and better life than this present life which is replete with so many misfortunes and evils. Enoch was God's testimony to the fact that those who walk with God in this life will also walk with God in a better life in the hereafter, where there will be no dangers and toils and snares. There will be no temptation of sin. There will be no death because death has been swallowed up in victory, swallowed up in the empty tomb. Thanks to the future of the promised seed, promised back in Genesis 3, the Lord Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. What does Enoch teach us? We close with these a couple things here. What he says in verse 6 back in Hebrews 11. He says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith in whom? Just faith in faith? Faith in myself? Just got to have a little faith, right? We sing that or we did back when I was young. Got to have faith, faith, faith. And it's never clear. It's just faith. No faith in Christ. Faith in an immovable object outside yourself. That's right. That's what it is. Faith in whom? Christ. Because Christ reconciles us to God. God is pleased with us in spite of our sin because he is pleased with Christ. That's what it means to be united with Christ, to be in Christ. He's pleased with the Son. You're a gift given to the Son in the Son, and so he's pleased with you if you're in Christ. Outside of Christ, all the other ways to please God are false paths. Because all other ways are the way of works. It's either grace or works. It's not grace and works. There is a church that believes that, but we don't. We think that's unbiblical, right? But it's grace upon grace upon grace that leads to good works, which confirms the grace is work in you. They're all false paths. Romans 4, 4 and 5, Paul says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. You're trusting in one outside of yourself for salvation, yes, but also for sanctification, this walk with God. It's a walk by grace, but you really walk with Him. Whoever would draw near, another thing we learned from Enoch, the second thing, whoever would draw near to God must do two things. Believe that He exists, so there's no room for atheism, not atheism of any kind here. And The universal fatherhood of God, a very popular teaching in the 60s and 70s, is not a biblical Teaching, more on that another time. And secondly, we must know that he rewards those who seek him. How do we seek him? By coming to him through the mediator, through this attorney that we need, whose righteousness speaks for us and says, not guilty. We know him. And he rewards those who trust in him with eternal life. Life in in, in this age, but also life in the age to come. It would be easy to conclude that we can look at Enoch and see a life that is impossible to live up to. Well, he took him, of course. But he took him after 365 years. You know, he didn't say, well, you got saved and he took you. He took him. He walked with God for a long, long time. We have good news. Philippians 2, 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, got that. Why? Well, for or because, the cause of the fear and trembling, the working out, because God, it is God who is at work in you to both to will and work for his good pleasure. If you're walking with him, it's because God is at work in you. But the question is, are you walking with him? Or are you just go to church on Sunday? There's going to be lots of church-going people who were in church all their lives and they wake up on that day and hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And that will be a travesty. To sit under the gospel day in and day out, Sunday in and Sunday out, every Lord's Day for 30, 40, 50 years and here, I never knew you. Are we trusting in Him? Do we seek Him? Have we sought Him? Have we sought Him? Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all those things you're worried about, all these things will be added unto you. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, which puts you in His kingdom, right? And then everything else, <laughs> it's gravy. It'll be added to you. Don't worry. Seek first. What does it mean to walk with God? It means coming to God through Christ and then walking with God in holiness, persevering in the faith because we see Christ as our supreme, all-satisfying treasure. And then we're set free from captivity to fear of man and fear of death and fear of anything in this world. That is frightening, as Paul puts it. And thus we draw near to God through Christ, knowing that, that He rewards those who seek Him. If you're here today and you don't know Him, here's what I say to you. I'll leave you with the words of Isaiah 65, or 55, 6, and 7. Seek the Lord. If you're lost, this is for you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. There's coming a day, a payday someday, and that will be the last day, and that will be the last invitation ever given in a church. Last time for everything and the last invitation, right? Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. We're together. We're two or more gathered. The Spirit is near. He is near us this morning. Call upon Him. Friend, don't leave here until eternity is settled. Call upon Him. There's coming the payday Sunday. It's coming just like the sunrise will come. It's coming. Let the wicked forsake His way. Forsake your wickedness. It's a path that leads to destruction. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Forsake your wicked thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. And I love this for he will abundantly pardon. Do you see that? If you're outside of Christ, you're guilty. You're guilty and you need pardon, but if you come to him in humility and and conviction of sin, confession of your sins, he will abundantly pardon. Flee to him today. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the testimony of Enoch. For it is a testimony to your faithfulness. God, give every person here the grace to walk with you in a manner worthy of the calling with which they've been called in heaven and Christ this week. And God, if there be one here today who's lost and no doubt there is, oh Lord, I pray that they would flee from the wrath to come, that you would work in them and draw them to yourself, that they would, you would open their blind eyes and unstop their deaf ears, and you would work, do a work in them that you alone are able to do. And God, if there are those who are trapped in some of these sins or flirting with some of these sins that we've talked about here, oh Lord, I pray you'd have mercy on them. You would set them free through the gospel that they might flourish in Jesus, flourish in Christ, and that they would seek your kingdom and your righteousness and nothing else. God, give us grace this week to live every moment for your glory and walk faithfully just like Enoch did for a long time your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.